it's crazy because like you go on to each job or, or you'll be on the same job and you'll literally every day be learning something new. Hello, I'm Poonam and welcome to the Crew Chats podcast where I speak to the crew that work behind the scenes in the film, TV and theatre industries. For this episode, I spoke to assistant costume designer Samantha Keeble, who has recently emerged from a six-year stint working through the Star Wars universe and is just about to complete on the upcoming Batman film. Samantha studied costume at the University of Leeds and has worked in film and TV for 15 years, with her career mainly, and accidentally she admits, focusing on sci-fi and fantasy from Harry Potter to Doctor Who, Star Wars, The Witches and the upcoming Batman to name a few. Hi Samantha. Hi, nice to see you. Nice to see you too and thank you for coming on to the podcast. So it's you're an assistant costume designer and what does that involve for you? Okay well lots of things. I'm sure probably you've had a lot of other assistant costume designers on your show that have answered very similar things. Yeah I, th- I think I've heard a couple of them that are very very good oh, and Apart from all the obvious stuff like sourcing materials, researching, um, buying in fabrics, all of that stuff, the main thing I think is to be the support of the designer and and, uh, to an extent the supervisor as well. I mean, they're there to guide you, but you're also there to help them as much as you can. Probably I'd say the main thing is is like communication with the whole team, the whole costume team and, and trying to get out of them, you know, the most you possibly can whilst you know, keeping the designer's vision all the time and staying faithful to that and just, you know, assuring the designer that you're there for them and you will do what what it is that they are looking for. I'd say that's the main thing. And then just in terms of um, the designer, obviously, like you said, you're you're there to support the designer in their vision for a production. How important is that relationship firstly? And then because you obviously have your own tastes and ideas for things as well. How do you go about supporting their design vision? Um, yeah, I think the relationship you have with them is really important. Um, and I think that's something that can grow over years if you work with them from job to job. But I've done a, quite a lot of things where I've just worked with a designer once and then maybe have gone into something else and haven't uh, worked with them again or you know come into it brand new and not known them but I think it's you just you have to get to know them and try and try and get not second guess their tastes but get to know their way of working and and their tastes and then kind of adapt what you know and and how you see things to suit that so it kind of you need to put aside your own taste sometimes and and think well is this how the designer would do it or is this what they would choose and and if so you know is it working and how can I make it work so it's kind of a roundabout answer but it's different for everybody and every designer is so so different um but I think if you can build a good relationship on trust then that is kind of as good as you're gonna as, as you can hope for um trust I think is a big thing isn't it so I think everyone sort of mentions that now you worked on I don't know every single name of all the Star Wars is that from oh. seven to nine and then the in-between movies yeah yeah I, I don't like to remember the names of all the Star Wars movies so don't worry <laughs> so you assisted um the designer michael kaplan across seven eight and nine and then in between there were different designers that you were also working with but firstly were you a fan before you got the job i was um i'd seen them all when i was younger i wasn't like mega fan and i had to re-watch them before i mean i remember i had my interview with michael actually and he said so you know are you a star wars fan i was like uh, <laughs> yeah sure and then I went off and watched them all so um I was a I guess I, guess I was a fan but not big time fan you know? no not on the forums then <laughs> <laughs> still not, not 
so in just in terms of that firstly the scale of it is so huge from if i just think about it i think of the stormtroopers the vast amount of them then you also have like sort of background um actors then you've got the main cast and you've got all the creatures how do you start with something like that and how yeah and in that process how do you assist michael i guess well i mean it was terrifying to start with and at first i I actually turned down the job because I thought, no. Did you? Yeah. (laughs) And I I just thought it wasn't for me. I didn't think it was. I'd kind of done uh, Doctor Who and I thought that was kind of it for me and and sci-fi. But then when I really thought about it and I started looking into Michael's history, I thought, well, there's no way I can pass up that sort of opportunity because, you know, the guy is a total genius, like legend. But, yeah, the scale of it, I mean, it is massive, but you have to, I think it's best just to not think about the scale of it <laughs> and look and look at your team because I mean the the supervisor um, Dave Crossman he puts together the kind of best team and you know everybody that we had working with us was just kind of the best in in the business yeah. and it was that was terrifying as well because I was like okay well, you know I need to work with all these people that have got this massive mega amount of experience and what am I bringing to the table and you just have to think, okay, well, everybody knows, all these people really know what they're doing and they're each going to get given their own separate um, tasks. And it just gets done because everybody works at it. And I hate using the phrase like cogs in a, in a machine, but that is kind of what it was. Yeah. Everybody chipped in and it just somehow got done. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was massive. And actually, that, that sort of, as you mentioned, there's a, often there's on. So I'll just use Star Wars as an example, because it's the scale of it is so huge. And when you are sort of um, you're working on behalf of the designer and then disseminating that information to different departments, because I think people take for granted how many different departments there would have been on a production like Star Wars. There's yeah. probably will miss a lot, but like there's costume makers, there's prop makers, jewelry makers, there's creatures, there's like, and then you're doing costumes for creatures. There's all these other very um, breakdown. There's so many people involved. And then, but you're the person yeah. sort of spreading that information or passing on that information. How was that in that respect? I mean, it was really fun. I mean, I wasn't the only assistant on it. There yeah, was no, of course. You know, three or four of us, but and we each, again, we were each broken down into our own separate um, sections that we would kind of take care of, but as well as kind of, you know, really recognising what each other was doing to kind of make sure everything we were doing would would work as one. But I think, yeah, I, I mean, and that's, that's kind of my favourite part of the job is making sure that each department know the information they need to know to, to kind of do the best that they can do. So, I mean, Michael was great in the way that he he did an awful lot of research and he let us do a lot of research as well. And he would kind of say we're on the right track or the wrong track. Mm. So I felt like right from the beginning, I had so many references from him and I felt like I knew, I kind of knew what it was that he was after. And he would he was so present in the whole production of it you know right from the very start finding the fabrics and 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 the the research stage to you know right at the end he'd be on set with it every every single stage he would be there and and if there were if there was something I was unsure about or or didn't know how to explain to a team member then he you know I'd bring him in on the conversation and he would make sure that everybody knew what was going on so I'd say it's really really fun part of the job that but um it wasn't just because it just because of the scale of it. It wasn't so difficult because Michael was brilliant with all of that stuff. This is a bit of a random question. What surprises you about your job? What does surprise me about my job? I, no, yeah, I think I know actually. I think it's the constant flow of new information or 
Mm. basically the constant flow of learning that I have it's crazy because like you go on to each job or, or you'll be on the same job and you'll literally every day be learning something new and I think that surprises me that you could do a job every single time I mean I've I haven't been doing this job that long relatively compared to people I work with you know I've been doing it about 15 years but I think every single day I'm like learning something new and I think the day that that stops I should probably do something else because I think there's so much stuff that you need to know or you or you learn about the world and researching and how to communicate with people and different fabrics and equipments and different things that you can do and use and that that is surprising to me that you can learn that much every single day every day for years and years and years and years I like that answer okay (laughs) that lends nicely onto another question is what is the best part of your job I just think it's the people that you meet like in every department and it's like the talent that is on show is unbelievable like these people that you work with every day that can just produce this stuff that's beautiful and the fact that I get to go shopping for a living I love the fact that I get to travel a lot like on Star Wars we went you know we went to Italy we went to Florence uh, twice actually and and then went to Prato for fabric fabric shopping because there's huge uh, fabric warehouses there but whilst we were there you know that Michael was very keen to go to us many kind of art galleries and museums as possible you know he he finds inspiration in absolutely everything but even when we were you know we'd have day trips where we'd go off to Oxford and go to the Pitt Rivers Museum or we'd go to Cambridge and go to the Natural History Museum and that is a major amazing part of my job you know we went to Paris bead shopping yeah all those things I can't I, I can just never believe I'm getting paid to do them that's there definitely the best part of the job yeah you really sold it there because um, I'm sure there's also a lot of a lot of challenges to your job as well um oh yeah don't get me wrong there can be some really <laughs> <laughs> really hard I mean the time that you dedicate to to the job is very very hard it's long hours and he kind of if you're really into the project you know you never get it off your mind so a week I will spend weekends working when I kind of shouldn't be um thinking about it or shopping for it or researching for it which is fun as well but it's also it's 24 7 but that kind of means I'm enjoying it so I kind of don't mind that you know there's things where you can maybe you know if you don't get on with a designer or you don't get on with a team or you're you're trying to produce a vision that the designer has which maybe you don't agree with it that can be really difficult because you're you're really trying to to do what the designer wants but if you're heart isn't in it that can be really really hard and logistics I think it can be really difficult because obviously across the whole of the film industry you're always having to deal with time limitations and budget restrictions language barriers you know I have things made in all over the world in India and Turkey and Pakistan and you're constantly battling okay you know I need it now how quickly can you make these things and how quickly can you get them to me and, and how cheap can you do it for and it's it's kind of um all of those things is is hard and and you have to be really really organized and really on top of it which I try my hardest to do sometimes doesn't 
doesn't work but you know as you're relying on people to be as as helpful and to help you out and want to help you out as much as possible that can be hard and actually you sort of address that but when you well I mean I'll ask you later on how you got into what you do but when you started becoming an assistant designer did you have a completely different idea of what it was compared to what it is yeah probably well I think because I've done I'd done sort of crowd standby I've done a bit of principal standby but I always knew from the very beginning when I was a trainee that it was the design team that I wanted to be involved in Mm. yes I think I did see I did know what the job entailed because I could see other people doing it and I could you know mentally take notes about what was going on Mm. in the costume department and the role of the assistant designer but I think when it actually came to doing it I remember my first job as an assistant with Barbara Kidd who's a fantastic designer and she turned to me and we were in a taxi one day and she turned to me and she said well what do you think what do you think she should wear and I think up until that point I hadn't considered that she actually might want my opinion (laughs) because because up until that point you're kind of you know you're a standby you're a you know all these different things a trainee you're there to help people you're there to facilitate you don't actually think the designer wants to know what you think and Mm. it's quite often is best to kind of get on with it and shut up so I think that really took me by surprise it's the amount of responsibility you suddenly have to get this thing right and to listen to the designer and to listen to what the actors are saying they want and and I that was my moment where I was like oh crap this is quite this is quite full-on and this is I actually have to really put my energy into this and think and really think about what I'm doing here. So yeah, I think the job is was different to what I maybe envisaged it was going to be because it's not all just looking at fabrics and talking about colours. Yeah, <laughs> which I think that sometimes people, that's just what they assume. I think they sometimes assume that's what also just a designer does, just looks at fabric yeah. and then does nice drawings and then that's that. Yeah, well, but... People often say to me, oh, so you make the costumes? And I was like, no, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, can, I can make clothes, but I certainly couldn't do it at a level that the people that I work with do. And no, that's not what I do. And I think it, it is amazing how many people don't understand. You know, they'll sit and watch films every single night of their lives. And when you have a conversation, you know, people that don't work in the industry, when you have a conversation with them they have no idea that all you know all the effort that goes into things yeah it's it's remarkable yeah it definitely is so I'm going to go back to then your beginnings is um how did you get into this world well actually it's a funny it's not really a funny story but it's quite (laughs) sort of interesting I kind of um well I I always loved doing textiles and I always loved doing um theatre studies which I did at A level and loved it and um I was I remember kind of thinking about what what university course I might want to do and you know you kind of think fashion it's kind of your go-to if you're interested in textiles and, and and clothes so I went to this um seminar at Manchester Met for a fashion course there and I accidentally walked into the wrong one (laughs) (laughs) and all of a sudden I was sitting in on a talk about about costume design (laughs) it sounds really ridiculous but it was like a light bulb moment for me I realized that that's exactly what I wanted to do so then I did an art foundation to try and further my drawing skills and I mainly focused on costume during my art foundation really kind of make sure it's exactly what I did want to do and then went off to university and studied um, costume design but then and then to get into the 
the industry um, came actually before I even went to university. I'd secured my place at Leeds and um, I was working, I was, sti- I was still at um, college uh, doing my art foundation and there was this lottery funded film going on and I immediately said, yeah, I want to do it and I designed it and it was this, and that was sci-fi as well actually. Oh, it's wow. And it was like me and my friend kind of made all the costumes ourselves and, you know, it was very low budget, but it was super fun. And then we heard that they were doing kind of open auditions for extras for um, Pride and Prejudice with um, Jacqueline Duran, who was designing it. And so me and my friend went along and because I wanted to see how the costume department worked and how the filming worked. And I just thought it'd be quite a fun experience. And um, I was being fitted as an extra and I met... Charlotte Finley, who was who's a brilliant costume supervisor, and, and I said, oh, I'm about to go to university to study costume. And she said, Oh, we don't be an extra, come and work with us, which was unbelievable. What? No, uh, really unbelievable. Like I owe her like basically my whole career. And yeah, so I I went and worked with them for a few weeks, doing alterations, fittings, and um, dressing people really early in the mornings and being on set. And it was absolutely amazing and then I went off to university I kept in touch with her and then she she got me on to Harry Potter as a trainee so all went from there oh my days that is an amazing story firstly imagine if you'd walked into the other lecture how different your life would have been I could be living in Milan right now (laughs) fashion forecasting but that is crazy and then mm. also the, the kind of fact that you went to the efforts of becoming an extra to try and find out how the cost, that is so ingenious. Well, I'm not even it's, a really, it's a brilliant way, actually, to, to kind of just see how the whole thing works. You know, and I was, I had no idea how a big costume department worked. And even at university, you know, you learn the skills, you mm. learn the technical skills and you you don't really learn how the industry works yeah and that's not you know slating my course or anything I loved my course but you really have to have the work experience is yeah. All yeah. Wow. yeah definitely I agree I, I really like your story I feel that's a really nice story there's so many like serendipitous moments yeah yeah I really like that story um and did you mention to Jacqueline when because uh, Jacqueline Duran is now designing Batman um she's co-designing Batman did you mention have you mentioned that story to her yes but only recently because um a picture a photograph popped up on my phone of my uh, my dad was an extra in it and um and I I suddenly realized I don't think I'd ever um you know in the last year I hadn't ever mentioned it to Jacqueline and we talked about it the other day I showed her all my photos and and um yeah she loved it and she's and funnily enough she looked at one of the photos that I'd taken of the extras and she said oh that's so funny because that is totally a costume that I would design now you know she said I that's that's I it's it's like my style hasn't really changed that's something that I still love so that was really nice oh yeah (laughs) she's such a brilliant designer she is yeah oh that is um that's really nice okay so what has been the biggest success in your career so far for you personally obviously biggest success don't you know <laughs> I'm not normally one to pick myself up this is the I opportunity think, <laughs> I think um, I think what I feel like is my kind of proudest moment I suppose was um I don't know I think it was maybe traveling to to Abu Dhabi and I remember thinking you know how the hell have I got this how am I here 
I remember panicking, you know, that I didn't know what the hell I was doing and why on earth were they hiring me and what, you know, what was going on. And then a couple of months later, we were in Abu Dhabi in the middle of a desert and filming this huge scene. And I think I was, I don't know, I think it was probably my proudest moment, I guess, because I thought, well, you know, here's a, an amazingly talented, famous costume designer and you know he's asking me to do things for him and and to and and my opinion and I think it still shocks me any you know every every time I get a job with these brilliant designers and I just the night before the job I'm always like oh god I can't do this I don't know what I'm doing and you know I have the all these massive doubts which I think everybody probably does Mm. um and then you work with them and you realize you can do it and you can adapt to their way of working and yeah, I'd say that was probably my biggest success. <laughs> no, I, I think that's really nice. And I, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of like imposter syndrome that sort of oh, creep, creeps in. But like you say, usually once you start working, you find actually a lot of people I spoke to said it never goes away. But actually, that's what keeps them doing what they're doing, if that makes sense. Well, I think if you become too um, familiar with it and you think, oh, fine, it's just another job. Mm. You, you're not going to do a good job because you have to you have to keep thinking on your toes and you can't you can't be complacent about it because everybody's you're if you're working with a different team each time they don't know you they don't know what you've done and you need to you know prove yourself every time otherwise the whole thing would fall apart if everyone was too complacent and actually talking of sort of fear expectation on the you've obviously you have done other things but I mean I do sort of come back to Star Wars and I'll and and Doctor Who in that case where there's a lot of precedent already set in terms of they have a massive following and now there's the online presence where they have forums etc where they discuss and sort of pick apart every sort of decision even the design decisions that have been made by you know the design teams is there a lot of um, sort of expectation when you kind of go into a job like that is there a lot of expectation and sort of fear and is that ever like play yeah. in your mind about what the reception of it will be? Because there's so much already yeah. around it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it probably helped a little bit on Star Wars. I wasn't like mega, mega fan, but but I tried my hardest not to read anything, you know, when the film came out and the kind of critics, you know, everyone's a critic, aren't they, these days? But like I tried my hardest not to read stuff and not to think about what the fans were going to um you know scrutinize because then it just blows your mind like everything you do I remember they do these Dorian Kingsley books afterwards that are like encyclopedia Star Wars encyclopedias and they have like detailed pictures of each costume and they have made up things about about each piece of the costume and what each piece of the costume does and it's terrifying and funny in the same way because like you'll be looking at something that you've worked on. I remember there was this, it's just going to sound terrible, but there was one of the creature costumes I was working on. And um, we kind of gave it this van brace, uh, this uh, it's kind of like a, a thing that goes around the arm. Mm-hmm. And um, we'd made, you know, our leather worker uh, had made it out of leather. It's a beautiful thing. And, and we said, well, we need to put... Um, these, you know, they called them greeblies. Uh, that's what they used to call them when, you know, um, when John Mollo was designing it in the 70s. They called them greeblies and they're like funny little like dials and things like that that look that look like space technology. Oh. And what they are is just random bits of hardware <laughs> <laughs> stuck to a plate or stuck to any part of the costume to make it look more futuristic. Yeah. And that's when we... I mean, I kind of loved that when I read about that in the the original trilogy um, 
costume books that John Wallow had, had named them Greeblies. But anyway, we, we were making these van braces for this creature and we said, okay, we're going to need to put some sort of Greeblie on it. And I, you know, turn around and there was this little kind of like a bolt on the floor. And I was like, oh, how about this? You know, this could be cool. This looks like a little, a dial for something. <laughs> anyway, we put that on. You don't think about it again. You have it all painted up. It goes on on the creature costume. It goes on set and that's the end of it. And then the film comes out, this, this encyclopedia book comes out and there's this huge description of what this little thing that I found on the floor does. <laughs> and it's like, and they're like, oh, it's, um, this is a little, you know, this is um, futurist technology that it, it's, it can speak into and it can, it's just like, this is insane. Like, <laughs> you don't think, <laughs> you don't think about all these things, but obviously people do and people want to know the history and the absolute you know definition of every single thing you do and then you realize and that's the scary thing when you realize that everyone everyone who is a fan is scrutinizing every tiny little thing and that's when you've got to try and detach yourself from it and stop thinking about it oh gosh that is crazy that is is mad (laughs) that's a lot of that's a lot of pressure and it's good that you is it hard to detach yourself from that though can be can be and uh, although I remember speaking to one of the producers about that actually and and she said well you've got to think this is the film in itself it's not for the it's not just for the fans you have to think about it as as a film in its own right and you have to you know stop looking at the universe and start looking at this film as a thing on its own and that does that helped actually and I'm I've thought about that quite a lot what do you think you take away from work whether it be from like you say with Michael Kaplan or working um, with designers where it's just a one-off you're working with them what's the thing you take away from each not necessarily just the designer but from the production the varying kinds of productions that you work on as well what do you find that you how have you progressed as an assistant designer maybe in, in the future designing your own right from working on those productions um that's a big question I guess well I think it's you know partly viewing everything in the world as you know not just the mundane it's kind of thinking about things in a different way and I, and it, that goes to say with like people watching as well that's a huge part of my job like thinking about why people wear things or why people do certain things and how they do them or how they wear clothes or why they've picked things and I think the minute you kind of, maybe the minute you lose sight of that, you you might produce a beautiful costume, but it may not work for the character. So I think that's the thing that I, if I don't remind myself that that's what it's all about, it's, it's not just putting clothes on a person, but it's about really getting into the mind of a character or a person and really taking inspiration from absolutely everything around you. That would be something I I hope to always take with me and if if I do you know if I was to become a designer who knows I'd hope that that would be the thing that I'd always um lead with even if I was to lead a team now difficult situations so obviously you are like I said you're like you said in fact where you're kind of there as a support for a designer and then also you're feeding information um, as part of a team you're feeding information to people that are also working on productions if there's a decision or something that's happened which you don't agree with in terms of a design decision you're like deep down you're like I really don't think this works or you really feel how do you go about sort of conveying that because I think also it depends on where you are in your career maybe earlier in your career you might be reticent to say something whereas 
when you're more experienced, you might be more likely to say, but that's, I guess it's a fine line to tread because you don't want to step on toes or, yeah, the question. Well, that is, that is a real tough part of the job, but I think, I think I'm all, I, I always stay very, very faithful to what the designer wants. And I, and I try and figure out if I don't agree with something, why I don't agree with it, or, or, or maybe to try and see it from their point of view which sometimes is obviously a lot easier said than done. Mm. I think if it's a decision that I know, you know, is something that won't necessarily be seen on camera, but it's going to have a massive effect on the department, you know, or people having to work late, I will try my best to steer it in a different direction. You know, if it's something that's on a whim that you know is, is not um, important enough and, uh, you know, and it's taking precedent over other things and, I would then say from a logistics point of view, well, actually, maybe we, we can't do that right now because these other things need to happen and that's what's going to be on camera next. But, you know, it, an experienced designer will know all of that anyway. And you kind of have to take their word for it that, that what, what they're going to do is the right thing to do because they may have had conversations with the producers and the directors that, that I wouldn't know about and, mm. and therefore decisions that they make you know, could be really important in other ways. So I wouldn't necessarily, if I, if I if I really didn't agree with something, just the way something looked, I wouldn't I wouldn't go out of my way to say no, that's not right because you know what do I know? I'm not the designer, so I would just try and make it work for everybody. I'd make you know I'd try and make sure that we had the time and the materials to get it done. I think that was a very diplomatic answer, actually, as well. Yeah, try really try. <laughs> <laughs> listening to these things no no I'm, I'm I, that, no, but that, that seriously is the way I would try and no, it, they can't necessarily have control of every aspect of things like the you know the, the script or the schedule or you know that's why they have a team right so I always think it's really interesting to, to, to see how you navigate that path basically but yeah and I think in that instance you'd hope the designer kind of trusted you enough to know you know if you've if you've remembered something in the schedule that, that needs doing first, I think that hopefully they would trust you enough for you, for you to be able to say, well, actually, that's not, you know, kind of important right now. We have to focus on this. If, if you can do that, then, you've, you're, you know, you're doing it for their sake as well. So, mm. yeah, it's difficult situations like that, I guess. But I find I mean, that doesn't happen an awful lot. I think hopefully if you're if you've got a good enough relationship with the designer to start with, you can foresee those sort of things anyway. So um, you mentioned earlier that contemporary was your favourite kind of um, job. Would I be right in saying that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love all the all all the jobs I've done to be honest but I do love contemporary because there's just this other element to it that's the the realism element that I absolutely find fascinating it's like you know the why do people wear what they wear type of thing and what's their background where are they from why would they pick a certain pattern or I love all that stuff but it's um it can be tricky because you're dealing with an awful lot of uh opinions from, <laughs> from everybody in the world whereas when you do period you're kind of like well if you know the period well enough you know this is this and that is that and you can have a look at all the research and go to art galleries and see you know beautiful paintings and say well this is how that you know there's, there's, a, lot, mm. there's a lot more to it than that but not everyone can have a, such a huge opinion on what you're doing because <laughs> it's kind of right or wrong yeah um, but I love contemporary for that reason because it's you really have to think in a different way about about why people wear what they wear and it's kind of funny little characters that I love you know when I'm doing crowd or you know, when I'm doing fittings, if I'm, I remember um, we had to do 
a few characters that were they were like they were made they were in a warehouse making uh, drugs mm. and it's I love researching stuff like that like who would these people be what's their ethnic background why would they be there and how have they ended up in this situation where they're doing this kind of this particular job and like that's the fun thing for me is or like you know if somebody says you've got to do a janitor it's like okay brilliant so you, you have to kind of put behind you everything you know about typical janitor and then you have to think about okay well who is this person and what would he wear for his job and is this a job where he gets a uniform or is this not a job where he gets a uniform and he wears his own clothes in which case what would he wear yeah that's the type of stuff I love love doing things like that I think that's really interesting because I find the everyday contemporary stuff gets um it's not as appreciated I think sometimes as the period stuff because um I mean the contemporary stuff is always it seems a bit too normal a bit too everyday a bit too maybe sometimes people might think it's a bit too boring but actually there is a lot of like you say a lot of decision that goes into picking those clothes and it's also it's the thing of people think that you're just out shopping and you know you bring the clothes back from the shop you pop it on the actor and you know that's it but that's not it I mean you know I was doing um a thing called Wallander with Kenneth Branagh out in um, Sweden uh, yeah and um, we're in Latvia as well and you know we've got policemen and you've got all these uniforms which you can't get access to you can't just buy police uniforms like you can the American ones and actually some of the English ones you can just buy you can't do that in Latvia because there's a big um, to do with the kind of big Russian population there so we had to have them all made in a factory and you know then you've got the whole translation issue of how you know I had to take an interpreter with me to a factory in 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 Latvia that was just completely Russian speaking and trying to get the exact thing made and trying to get the um the sorry I've completely forgotten the word is it all the symbols Um, and stuff yeah 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 all of all of that trying to get all of that right all the tiny details of the costume to make sure that it actually looks the way it should look and also um to be a you know so you have to get permissions to be allowed to use it in certain places and ah. it's all these little things and it's just, it's you know you learn so much about these things you never would think you'd need to know in life yeah <laughs> you know, I've spent weeks re- researching American first responders and firefighters in America and talking to ex-FBI agents about you know how they wore their guns or when they would wear their guns or what situation they would put on a stab vest And, you know, it's so interesting when you talk to these people who, for them, it was just their everyday job. They didn't necessarily think about their clothes, but but they've all got very specific answers when you ask them about it. And that, to me, is is so interesting, you know, because it's it's the everyday stuff that, you know, people will watch a film like, I don't know, Die Hard, brilliant film. And... um, and they'll see all the the um, the ambulance crews and the firefighters at the end, and just think, oh, rented costumes. Not necessarily, you know. On Batman, every single firefighter outfit's been made from scratch. Wow. Then, yeah. So it's a lot. There's a lot in contemporary that I think gets really missed. So that brings me on to my final question, which is, what are your three to watch recommendations? <laughs> Well, I mean, this is just hard, actually. I'm sure everyone says that. But I mean, <laughs> I'm going to throw a bit of a um, controversial one out there. Yeah. Because many people are going to say it's absolutely not worth talking about. <laughs> I 
am a massive fan of Nicolas Cage. Oh, okay. <laughs> he, I, I just, I mean, his films can obviously be what some people might describe as terrible. My, my one recommendation, if you're going to get into the world, the mental, insane world of Nicolas Cage would be uh, The Wicker Man, the 2006 version of The Wicker Man oh. um, by Neil Labute. Because obviously the original 1973 version is brilliant and everybody loves it and it's a great film in itself. But the, <laughs> the remake is amazing. Oh. I mean, he's the guy is insane. I mean, there's a whole scene where he's just... Like the end scene, he's just wearing this bear costume with bear shoes and he's running around like screaming things and he punches this lady in the face and nicks her bicycle. Like you can't, like <laughs> every single piece of the film is genius because it's it's like a cult classic instantly and you can't actually believe that they wrote it or they filmed it or somebody backed it. You, you can't believe it's come out of the cinema. It's brilliant. <laughs> So that's my first one. Um, it's my first one. Yeah. And, you know, I would I could go on about Nicolas Cage films all day long. I just love him. He he's a totally mad actor. I'd love to work with him. I'd absolutely love to see him have one of his huge freakouts on set. I would I wouldn't know what to do with myself. I'd be totally starstruck. You just <laughs> something comical, you know, to every film, which is incredibly watchable in a just most bizarre way I just think he's awesome yeah. um, okay second one is I've I spent the whole of lockdown watching um a thing called Deadwood which is on Sky and it's Ian McShane plays his absolutely incredible character called Al Swearingen um it's a western and it's just brilliant I mean I love westerns anyway but it's like a long it was I think they did three series I think I'm right in saying I can't remember but I watched them all anyway back to back basically and then they did a crowdfunded film um because the funding got cut for it and they said that that was it they weren't gonna do anymore and oh. it had such a cult fan following that people actually clubbed together and crowdfunded a, a feature-length film of it wow and it's so good. I watched that last week, the film of it. But I really recommend the series because every character in it is is so well written. And I loved it. Loved it. Oh, that's interesting. Um, what's my third one? Okay, so then I thought, seeing as I've talked about Nicolas Cage for so long, I should probably go slightly more highbrow. <laughs> There's a, um, I'm a big fan of um, Complicity Theatre Company. And I saw a brilliant um, production of theirs. Where actually, it was just the um, the guy that runs it called Simon Burney, I think his name is. He does this one. He did this one man show at the Barbican called The Encounter. And I would highly recommend anybody to watch it because it's ultimate piece of theatre. And they, I think they streamed it whilst uh, during lockdown a couple of months ago. It's like a it's a real complex piece of theatre. It's like multi layered technology. He uses this sound technology called it's like bi binaural sound. And basically, you, when I went to see it at the barbecue, you put headphones on, and the sound kind of flows through one ear and out the other ear, and then it kind of surrounds you. And it's this it's like a really immersive theatre experience. And it was unlike anything I'd ever seen really and it's about this it's a it's a it's a story of this um real life photographer who worked for the National Geographic and it was her journey into the Amazon rainforest so he he creates this whole world of the Amazon rainforest you know through sound and it's wow. unbelievable unbelievable wow that sounds really cool 
I shall check those out. Um, Samantha, thank you for your recommendations and thank you for coming on the podcast. It's super interesting. No thank you for having me. And I, oh. yeah, I loved it. It was great, oh. actually. I don't often talk about my job and um, it's, you know, this whole thing scared me quite a lot, but actually oh. you realise there's, there's so many brilliant moments that you've had um, in your career and, you know, shared with people and the people you've met. And it's so nice actually to talk about it and think about all those things. So thank you. No, thank you. That's really kind. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Samantha. Tune into the next episode where I'll be speaking to First Assistant Director Lydia Curry. And if you get a moment, could you please like, follow or subscribe on your podcast platform and follow the Crew Chats podcast on Instagram. Thank you.